This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Sun Life Ministries with Dan Spader and his team. Here's audio content from Sun Life in their track called Life of Christ Disciple-Making. Are we on? Okay, come on, Donald. Somebody said, man, you got to get going here. And I was just having fun talking. My, my namesake over there, Daniel, he's from a family of 13 kids. And he thought he was going to impress me. I'm from a family of 16 kids. So we were just, we were just bonding there. I mean, we were, we were the bonding. He's the oldest, right? And, uh, I'm near the tail end because in our family, our kids, our, our parents kept having kids and they said, man, we can't get better. And we just kept getting better and better and better. And they hit me and tried one more. And so they quit. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. All right. Welcome. Uh, good to have you in here. Um, looking forward to our time. We're, we're really in this session, um, really going to dialogue and wrestle with the whole issue of Jesus being fully God and fully man. And uh, so we're going to tackle that subject, and I'm going to just dive off. I'm going to, matter of fact, even start off here by just setting a, a time clock so I know exactly my time frames. And, and really, any of you who know anything about this subject, uh, theologians call it the hypostatic union. Uh, it's the most complex of all theologies. Uh, we're going to solve it in about, you know, an hour, okay? <laughs> theologians have been wrestling with this for years. But um, let me just kind of frame this up. And I've read out, written out some notes. I've talked a lot about this. I've written a lot on this. To those of you who have read some of my stuff. Um, but, but I want to say this right. And I want to frame this up right. And I'm really looking forward to the dialogue with my, my friends here. Uh, we've been co-partners for years together. And we're just going to dialogue on it and wrestle with it. So that's, that's where we're going to go. Can we just begin with prayer? Would you mind if I just, Father, we just really give you this time. We're dealing with a deep subject here. It's probably the, the deepest of all theologies. Every major heresy that's ever come upon the church has come from a faulty understanding of fully God, fully man. So, Father, we want to get this right. We want to get to the real Jesus that walked on this earth. And so, Lord, I pray that you just guide us during this time. And I just thank you for that. I look forward to it and... Uh, just look forward to the chance to learn from my brothers here. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, one of the things I love, Matthew 13, a number of years ago when I was reading that text, uh, Matthew 13, 53 and 55 talks about Jesus going back to his hometown. And he goes back and, and the people there are stunned. They say, where did this man get this wisdom? Aren't these his brothers? <laughs> and he names his four brothers. Uh, um, and then it says, and his sisters, plural. So even our conversation or Daniel, uh, you know Jesus comes from a big family, at least nine in the family. And so that set me off a number of years wrestling with the question, what would it have been like to grow up with Jesus? And I don't know, maybe I have a sanctified creative imagination here, but I just spent weeks on that subject. Because uh, in our family of 16 kids... Uh, I have a brother who thinks he's perfect. (laughs) 
But Jesus was perfect. And what would it be like to have a brother like that? Perfect temperament, perfect attitude, perfect passion, perfect balance. Um, if you're marrying Joseph and you ever discipline Jesus, you're probably wrong. Or you are wrong. Uh, so what would have that been? Do you think his siblings got tired of getting the WWJD bracelet, you know, for Christmas? You know, I, I don't know. What would it have been like to grow up with Jesus? And all of us have been to Israel and been to Israel several times and we love it there. And I can just visualize the setting. So what would have that been like to grow up with Jesus? Well, Hebrews chapter 1, I love, I've been reading this lately. Hebrews 1 talks a lot about the deity of Jesus. I mean, just some things. It makes a strong argument for the deity of Jesus. It says, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son who made the universe, the exact radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He sat down at the right hand of majesty. So Hebrews 1 makes a strong argument for Jesus' deity. But then he shifts, and in Hebrews 2, now he turns to Jesus' humanity. And here it says he talks about who for a while was made a little lower than the angels. So that by God's grace he could taste death. Perfected through suffering. Not ashamed to call us his brothers. But had flesh and blood. Shared in our humanity. Had to be made like us. In every way. And that says to make atonement for the sins of the world. So it shifts to his humanity, but most people miss this, and this is what I'd missed for years. Hebrews 3, 1, which is really connected, says, therefore, and then it says, think a lot about this Jesus. So that's what I kind of want us to do this morning. I want us to try to get to the real Jesus, get to the, the fully human Jesus. Uh, what was he really like? Uh, we're told to walk as Jesus walked, to do what Jesus did, to follow the patterns that he gave us. I, I love how Philippians 2, 5 says, think and act just like Jesus. So in order to think like Jesus, you got to know the real Jesus. To act like Jesus, you got to know the real Jesus. Uh, and I just want to start off by saying this. Nothing, nothing has caused me to love Jesus more uh, in reality than understanding the humanity of Jesus and wrestling with that humanity. Nothing has caused me to love that more. But nothing, I would say, starting off, has caused me to understand disciple-making better. And I think to be more fruitful at disciple-making than understanding the real Jesus, the human Jesus, the fully God, fully man. Uh, here's my premise. My experience is, in America, most Americans have what theologians call the Apollinarianism view of Jesus, which is the Superman Jesus. He looks like Clark Kent, because Clark Kent looked human. But boy, when Clark Kent goes in that phone booth, he comes out with the kryptonite, the cape, and flies through the air. And so we've not made Jesus fully human, we've made him into superhuman, superman. And that was shot down the Council of Chalcedon's heresy. So I want to bounce off of that and play with that. But before we go any further, um, I, I want... I want to really wrestle and to think hard about, was Jesus fully God? And I think every one of us in this room, I hope we'd say yes, because in him the fullness of deity dwelt. I don't want anybody to leave doubting that. In my mind, Jesus was fully God. He claimed to be God. He received worship as God. They crucified him because he was making himself out to be equal to his father. So he was fully God. But we also, not only was he fully God, he was what? Fully man, fully man. And 
and uh, he wept, he got hungry, he died, he was born, he was conceived, he, he lived with a, a flesh and blood, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So he was fully human. Uh, we know that too. And Hebrews 2 says he shared in that humanity and he was made like us in every way. And to me, this is the, the chapter that rocked my world when I was studying this. Hebrews 2 said, if he was not fully human then our atonement could not be complete. And that's why Augustine says, you get this wrong, you get everything else wrong. Uh, if you make him less than human, then our atonement, our salvation is less than complete. So we've got to get this one right. Now, people say, so what's the problem? Fully God, fully man, no problem, let's go. We settled that one. <laughs> not really. Let, let me just raise some, the way I like to raise some of the issues. Here's, how I, here's the problem with being fully God and fully man at the same time. Uh, for example, is God omnipresent? And I think all of us would say, yeah, he's omnipresent. But Jesus, careful, in his humanity, was he omnipresent? And most people come back and say, no. Because every morning he had to get up and, like you and I, make decisions. Which workshop am I going to? (laughs) What am I going to do today? Who am I going to meet? Who am I going to talk with? Because in his humanity, he was not omnipresent. He had to pick those he was going to invest with and those he was not going to invest in. He dealt with the same limitations. Now, some of you are just learning, and I know Roscoe thinks he's omnipresent, but, but you know, um, sometimes I think he is too, but, <laughs> but, but we're not, and that's one of the limitations. So how do you be omnipresent but not at the same time? See some of the tension? Uh, for example, let's take another one, the omniscient. Does God know all things? Well, I think all of us, we haven't bought some of the heresy out there. Yes, God knows all things. Um. But Jesus, in his humanity, I always like to ask, did he know all things? Now, again, this one I say, be careful here. And most people say, no, no, he, he didn't know the time of his father's return. So in his humanity, he did not know all things. Or the very fact that, remember when he said, who touched me? He, he didn't know. Now, so when I heard someone preach, I know oh, he really knew he was just faking it. No. <laughs> I mean, come on. How could that, you know, so... Or the very fact that he had to learn. He increased in wisdom and stature. The very fact that Jesus had to study the book to learn what he wrote years ago. <laughs> he, he didn't come down as a little baby, download it with all biblical data. And, and by the way, often when I say that, I can be criticized by some people. I, I had to make a trip to the Philippines because there was a group of churches over there. that He was downloaded with all biblical data. And he didn't have to study. So, but he wasn't. So how do you be, how do you know all things omniscient and not know all things at the same time? See some of the tension there in this fully God, fully man? One more. Omnipotence. Is God omnipotent? Is God all powerful? Yes. Jesus in his humanity was the all powerful. Now this is a tough one for some, but I would say to you, no, he's not. Because remember in his hometown, he could not what? Do many miracles in his hometown. And the Mark text there is pretty strong. He could not. So how can you do all things and not do all things? See, that's the tension of theologians. How do you be fully God and fully man at the same time? Now, through the years, every major heresy has come about through this. Um, Some people would argue... If you understand theology, the kenosis passage, kenotic theology, that what he did was he gave up parts of his deity. 
temporarily. Well, that's heresy. Because he didn't. How can God stop being God? Some people said he gave up being God for a period of time, became man and went back to being God. No, that too is heresy. How can God stop being God? He didn't give it up uh, uh, just one or two elements of his deity. That too is heresy. So we got to get this right. The theologically correct way that church fathers have said this has been resolved was that in eternity past, that what Jesus chose to do in eternity past was he chose, knowing that he had to add humanity to his deity, that when he walked on his earth, he would veil his deity to such an extent that his humanity could be fully expressed. Now, that's a theologically correct way to say it. Uh, I like to illustrate it, and uh, you guys have heard me this, but I'm going to do it for again. Can you all hear me here? I'm going to have a hard time doing this, holding this. I'll do it. Okay, let's say this is the God card. And um, this is really a Visa, but pretend it's the ultimate master's card, the God card. Jesus had the God card. He was God. He was fully God. Uh, the credit, the, the number on his God card was 777777, you know. Uh, expiration date on his God card was eternity. Uh, credit limit on his God card was anything he wants because he made it all. Infinite. So we all agree he had the God card, carried the God card, was fully God. But theologian says the only way you can be fully God and fully man at the same time, what he chose to do, that in eternity past, that he would add humanity to his deity and allow his deity to be so veiled that his humanity could be fully expressed. Didn't give up his deity, it was still there. But he veiled it. This is Philippians 2, the Gnosis passage. Now, when I began to wrestle with that, to me that began to blow my mind especially as a discipler. Because it forced me to now draw some implications. I'm going to go there real quickly. I'm going to give three implications of this, and we're going to bounce off this. And Ryrie, or not Ryrie, um, who's a great preacher. I forget his name, not Spurgeon, but anyway, I'm drawing a blank. I said that usually the, the most heresy comes about not in the exegesis of the text, but in the application of the exegesis. So... Uh, I always say when I teach this, I may be wrong. I don't think I am. I wouldn't be teaching it. I wouldn't be wrestling with it. But we got to look at this with eyes of theology. We got to look at this carefully. And I advise anybody wrestling this, we'll talk more about it. Oh, let, let's just analyze this. I'm going to give you three implications of fully God and fully man, veiling that deity so that his humanity could be fully expressed. Implication number one in my mind is... That when Jesus walked on this earth, fully God, fully man, he did not dip into his deity to live out his humanity. And the reason I say that is because if he would have, then he wasn't fully man. Because now he's superman. He did not dip in his deity to live out his humanity. Ryrie says it this way. Never less than God, he chose to live his life never more than man. Ooh, isn't that good? Now, if you think on that for a while, that is profound. Never less than God, he chose to live his life never man. Bruce Ware said his deity was unexpressed so this humanity could be fully expressed. Grudem says, Jesus refused to rely upon his divine nature to make obedience easier for him. 
Now think about that. Remember right after his baptism, he was thrust into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, led about by the Holy Spirit, came out full of the Holy Spirit. And in the wilderness, three times he was tempted. Two of these three temptations were by Satan. And how do they begin? If you are God. Satan tried to get Jesus to use the God card to take a shortcut to suffering. To take a short, why? Because Satan knew, I believe, that if Jesus would pull out the God card and said, that one's too tough, put it on the God card, then he's not like us in every way, yet without sin. And it would short circuit atonement for man's sin. And so, he did not dip into a deity to live out his humanity. Now people start thinking about that and they say, well that sounds really good, but, what about his miracles? I mean, isn't that using the God card? Well, go back to Jesus here. Go deep here. Study. Jesus said, the miracles I did, I did not do. What? The Father did them through me. Wow. Jesus said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I love how Mark says, the power of the Lord is with him to do many miracles. Acts 2.22 says, Jesus, God's man from Nazareth, Jesus, the man from Nazareth, Went around, did many miracles, signs, wonders, which God did through him. Think about it. The apostles did almost every miracle Jesus did, except a couple. And they said, we didn't do it, Jesus did it. Jesus said, I didn't do it, the Father did it through me. That's what it means to be fully human. A vessel through whom God can do the supernatural. (laughs) Could say more about that. The second thing people come up and say, but well, what about knowledge? I mean, didn't he know a lot of things in advance? Yeah, the Bible says uh, 11 times uh, that Jesus knew something in advance. But many of the times, we'll find to be exact, where he walked in the crowd and said, I know what you're thinking. Well, have you ever walked into a room of angry deacons <laughs> or Pharisees? You don't have to be, use a God card to figure out, I know what you're thinking. Now, granted, I don't want to make too light of that because Jesus did know, I think, prophetically some things in advance. But think about it. Amos 3, 7. What does that say? The Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants. Has the Father ever revealed something to you in advance that's coming your way? And Jesus was without sin. Four times the Bible says without sin. Do you think the Father, he had a direct line to Father. The Father could say, this is what's coming. Be ready for it. Isn't that what it means to be fully human? As we walk in the Spirit, to have the Spirit guide us and lead us like he did in the book of Acts 50 sometimes. Proverbs 2.32 says, the Lord takes the upright into his confidence. Wow, that's a great verse because it means God lets us know what he's going to do. I think he's going to take us into his confidence to say, this is my plans. This is where I'm working. Join me. Isn't that what Proverbs is saying? I think it is. And imagine what that was like for Jesus as he walked perfectly in relationship in his humanity with his heavenly father. And by the way, to me, this is why Jesus spent so much time in prayer. <laughs> Because in his humanity, he didn't know the next step to take, but he knew where to get the next step. So, conclusion number one. Conclusion number two, or implication number two, is this. That the resources that were available to Jesus 
are the same resources available to you and me. Wow. And this got me and a lot of us to begin to wrestle with what was a real Jesus like. Not only what did Jesus do and what were the methods of Jesus, but how did Jesus do what Jesus did? And again, it's fun to go back to scripture here. And the number one resource Jesus had, I got a whole book on this. But number one resource Jesus had with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> His ministry began with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Anointed by the Spirit, did miracles by the Spirit, raised by the Spirit, and ended through the power of the Holy Spirit. He obeyed through the Spirit, we're told in Hebrews 9. We have that same resource. He had the resource of prayer. Forty-five times he slipped away to pray, 33 different instances. Why? Again, to seek his Father's direction. He had the word of God, which he wrote, which is an interesting discussion some other time. But, you know, he wrote what he was going to need while he walked on his earth. Who told him what his plan was for himself. What his will was. What his father's will was. It's God's love letter to us, his word. Isn't that the same with us, though? We read his word and understand God's leading in our life. Jesus had the same resources we have. And... Then that leads me to conclusion number three, is that therefore, and that was the theme of this workshop, that therefore, Jesus is my model for life and ministry. Because Jesus, and I love how Ian Thomas said it, Jesus was man as God intended man to be. Ooh, that's good. And not, I mean, not because I said it, Ian Thomas said it. He was, man, as God tend to be. You want to know what we should be like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what we're going to be like? Look at Jesus. He was man as God. He was fully man. You see, sometimes we make a mistake. We say, we take our understanding of humanity, and then we, we, we never make Jesus like us, so we make him better than us. That's where we make our first mistake. Because Jesus is not better than us. Because we're not fully human. What kind of humans are we? Fallen humans. And so, Jesus, now, follow my thing here. Jesus, I'm going to just conclude with it. Jesus was more like Adam before Adam sinned than he is like us in our sin. Does that make sense? That's huge. You want to know what Adam like? Look at Jesus. Jesus had dominion over creation. Adam had dominion over creation. When he passed down sin, he lost that. We fall. We're fallen humans. But now once we become in Christ, we're elevated back up, restored to that position. Now, I do say this, and I'll wrap it up with this. Jesus has one edge. And this is a pretty big edge. He was sinless. And we're sinful. Um, But here's how I deal with that. When we enter into Christ as a Christian, we have Christ in us. 170 times Paul said Christ in us. And while we'll never become sinless this side of glory, we should as we mature sin less. And become more like Jesus. Because one day we will be like Jesus. The second Adam. 
who restored us back to that position. Okay, guys, you're going to straighten out all my theology on this one now. So let's talk about this. This is, um, those of you, these guys, I'm going to just let them introduce themselves first. Dear, dear brothers in Christ, um, I've come great partners. But Don, go ahead. Why don't you take the mic and introduce yourself. My name's Don Roscoe. I'm a pastor up in Michigan, and I've worked with Dan for the last 36 years to helping train trainers and coach pastors around the world. Uh, my name's Dean Plumley. I uh, live on a farm and grow chickens and make disciples. Um, for the last 20 years, I've been trying to birth a disciple-making movement in the surfing world um, globally, uh, focused on Jesus. Doug Holliday, and I'm the uh, executive director of Sun Life. I've been in that role for the last three years, and I live in Orlando, Florida. So our family is like right in the midst of the storm right now. Um, but I've uh, been down there for almost 20 years, and uh, actually my first days in youth ministry almost 30 years ago, uh, uh, Dan and his family moved to our area and started attending our church, and so right at the beginning of uh, ministry for me, I was introduced to Sun Life, the Sun's Life, uh, and uh, Dan became a, a mentor uh, in my life all the way back then, and uh so I, I think to be on the panel, uh, you have to be a D, right? <laughs> Dan, Don, Dean, Doug. So well, My daughter, Chris Day, who was not able to be here because she had to speak last night, took about 400 college students, was going to be here. So that would have really messed that it up. That would have ruined it all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, here's my first question to you guys. I want us just to wrestle with. And, and we're going to try to push this down. And I want us to think hard about this um, and talk honestly about it. When you guys first heard the concept of the humanity of Jesus, uh, what what was your reaction and what did you have to wrestle with and think through? I was, like you, raised in a Catholic background. So in a Catholic backdrop, you never think really of the humanity of Christ. He's the Superman. He's above you. And so I had to rewire myself to think differently. And actually look at scripture. Um, we as evangelicals would often say that about Catholics. They, they just don't know the Bible. Well, when I became an evangelical, I found out many evangelicals don't know the Bible. <laughs> They're no different than Catholics. All right. So for a good many of us and our people, we just we have to do some solid Bible teaching. Um, and the truth does not lie. Once you communicate the truth you just have to wrestle with misconceptions so i did all that rewiring my first year of salvation so but i realize in our church setting people we've got people 30 years either they haven't thought about it at all or they have thought about it incorrectly so there's a lot of rewiring that needs to be done now i'd uh, grown up my entire life in the church my grandfather was a christian missionary alliance pastor um, and, uh, you know, as a kid, we were in church every time the doors were open and my perspective of Jesus, maybe it wasn't super Jesus, but it was definitely Jesus is God and didn't, okay, he's a man, but Jesus is God and just that reverence for Jesus as God and worshiping him as God, um, putting him on that platform, uh, looking up, 
and uh, so that was that was the perspective I, I, I grew up with. That was um, how I taught Jesus in my beginning beginning days of ministry and teaching on the miracles. There's never been anyone like Jesus, and you know just wanting to elevate him in people people's eyes. Um, and I remember being at uh, Sun Life's uh, disciple making conference. I believe it was in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. Uh, where uh, you were teaching and you had just, uh, you know, kind of completed a study, done a white paper, and were, were sharing this with all of us leaders at that conference. It was 1998 or 99, somewhere in there. And um, <laughs> my mind was, was blown by that that concept but in the same moment it, it it really clicked and i said it's true it's true and, and what that means for me is you know this uh this, the, the 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 jesus that i've put out there that that's kind of a model for us to shoot for but we could never be like jesus um that i bought into that lie and just the incredible uh, hope that it instilled within me and the joy that um, this is, it's possible for me to, to be like Jesus. Um, and walking out of there, and uh, boy, even that, the, the book Jesus, an interview across time that you introduced to us there and uh, picked up a copy of that and just some of the things that, that uh, he, he talked in there with, you know, how, how Jesus might have realized that he was the Messiah, you know, through, you know, studying the Old Testament scriptures and, and prophecies, the, the coming of the Messiah. And wait a second, that's true about, and that's true about, and, and coming through his own study of the scriptures to realize the Father revealing to him who he was. And, you know, I would have had the perspective, well, well Jesus just knew because he's God, you know. So it's just, like I said. So how about for you, Dean? Well, Paul's pretty clear to the Galatian church not to tinker with salvation. And, uh, you know, my fear initially uh, when I started to think about that was, you know, are, are we diminishing Jesus? You know, I grew up, uh, my parents uh, were pretty gnarly alcoholics, and, and uh, when I was about three, they got saved, and so I grew up going to church, and, and we were in a church that uh, lifted Jesus high, had uh, very high regard for Jesus as deity, um, but in direct contrast to Hebrews 3.1, we didn't think a lot about Jesus, you know, we thought a lot about, you know, um, moralism and how to live right, what to do, what not to do, um, uh, which theology we should fight with everybody over. Um, but um, but we didn't we didn't really think a lot about Jesus because Jesus is God. That settles it. He's our ticket to heaven. So let's move on. Um, and, uh, you know, I had fears, man, is this some kind of heresy? We're going to get off track here. And 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 also. I think in all of us, and I think it's God's spirit in us, there's intuition that just has such a reverence for Jesus intuitively. And, and I didn't 
want to disrespect Jesus. The funny thing about that was that as I began to actually read the Bible in regard to Jesus and really think about him, um, beginning to understand his humanity elevated him greatly because I suddenly realized he didn't obligatorily in magic save us. He volunteered, you know, and I, I mean, that makes him a hero. You know, he didn't, he didn't have to step in front of us and take the bullet. He did it because he loved us. And suddenly, you know, I started to see not this distant Pope, but this friend that really did love me. And, um, and, you know, just overwhelmingly convinced of the biblical truth. As you read scripture, you just like Acts 2.22 just blew my mind that, these are the miracles the Father did through him. And I remember a, a good friend, Mark Edwards, saying, you know, remember, Jesus wasn't the only one to walk on water. And I remember scooting away from him because I knew lightning was going to strike him for saying that, you know. <laughs> and uh, um, But then coming to realize, wait, the same God who, who held Peter on top of the water and did miracles through, you know, all these other guys is the same God that's doing these miracles through Jesus as Jesus shows me how do I actually walk with God. Um, so I guess my initial fear was that we were going to diminish him and disrespect him and that we were going to tinker with salvation. But again, Hebrews is super clear. You pointed that out. But it's actually the culmination of our salvation in his humanity. He's not a substitute for us, you know, uh, if he's not human. You know, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Well, he didn't just you know, carry a vile blood and spill it for us. You know, he became us um, to, to rescue us. And so the reality is, you know, we weren't tinkering with salvation. If we don't acknowledge his humanity, we don't have salvation. And he was too, it's clear there. He had to be like us in every way to make atonement for our sins. And that's powerful. And by the way, Dean, I really appreciate what you said, but I really love those socks. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, I really like, that's a surfer sock, don't you think? No, I think it's more like Wizard of Oz, the witch. <laughs> I think she had socks like that, so. <laughs> okay, alright, I'm sorry, alright. I think Dean's gonna get wait. you a pair of the socks. <laughs> I will, Merry, I will. Merry Christmas. And I thought you were going somewhere with that walking on water thing, because I know you're President Christian Surfers for a long time. If you're, I haven't seen you without a surfboard out there lately. But anyway, all right, we won't go there. When you guys train this, um, what reactions do you get? I mean, what are some reactions from people? And I, you mentioned that 98 conference, and I don't think I was saying it as well and articulated well, but we had four guys seminarians that got up and walked out of that meeting. Because they thought I was teaching major heresy. And they invited me. They were, maybe I shouldn't mention a school. But it, it was sounded like Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, <laughs> but So they, they invited me down there. And scared me to death. Because that's one place I highly respect. And, uh, uh, and Howard Hendricks and Aubrey Melfers were sitting in the front row. As they had me preach on this subject. Um, but so it was affirming to hear them say I, I, I did okay with it. But... Uh, but people react to it. People react to it. And some good, some tough. What, what were, what some reactions you get? And I always say, we gotta teach this carefully. But we'll talk more about that. But what, what reactions you get? Uh, you know, I have had reactions that, uh, 
just this past year, I was, was making the statement um, just in regards to Jesus' humanity and that he didn't lean into his deity to live out his humanity. Um, yes, you know, Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man, and he lived lived his life as a man the same way we have. And while I, I'm saying this and teaching it in, in this crowded room, some guy in the second row shouts out, but he's God! <laughs> so that's the reaction from some. You know, don't mess with my Jesus. Don't mess with my Jesus. Um, he's God. And, you know, I think one of the... One of the things, and he is, but I just want to... Yes. <laughs> yes. And so one of the things that, that I've um, started to do when I, I teach this and, you know, kind of did this uh, yesterday afternoon in, in our, uh, our breakout upstairs is just rather than <clears throat> kicking in the front door and saying... Yes, Jesus is fully God, fully man, but he didn't use his, he didn't play his God card to, to, to live as a man. My style. And <laughs> for me, kicking in the front door, what that does with people I'm teaching is uh, people in the room, you know, walls go up, uh, arguments start going in their mind, and they don't hear anything else I say. And uh, so I've just begun to try and disarm that and come in the back door and say, you know, it's revolutionary for me. Looking, and I take them right to Luke chapter 4 and say, you know, right at the outset of Jesus' ministry, Luke 4.1, uh, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then uh, look after that encounter in, in verse 14 and it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then after that, he's in Nazareth, and he, he's, uh, you know, stepping into the synagogue. He takes the, the scroll from Isaiah, and he's, he's reading the prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, and, and it's basically his job description, what his ministry is going to look like. And he says, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he has, the Spirit has anointed me, and the Spirit has sent me. And, and so, you know, I say, so, so look at, Look at Jesus' life and his ministry. How did, he, how did he do what he did? Well, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit, and he walked in the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit anointed him for the ministry he was going to do, and then the Spirit sent him to do that ministry. Uh, isn't that the same for us? And then I can talk about, well, why was Jesus dependent on the Spirit? And then I point to Philippians, and then I point to Hebrews, and he had to be made like us in every way. And, and uh, you know, in his humanity, you know, mm-hmm. to be our model and to live as we live, to be made like us in every way. Um, and then those walls don't go up as quickly coming, coming in the back door. It's good. Much gentler than I am. I love <laughs> just bust that door open and make people think. Okay. What are some reactions you get, Dean? Um, I find, you know, the more theological training people have, the, the more harsh the reaction uh, to the humanity of Jesus. Um, you know, I've been spending a lot of time uh, for the last decade with completely untrained 
people. Um, I spoke at his conference one, Christian Surfers, and believe me, I've never seen so many tattoos and ear rings in my life. But it was a great group. They love Jesus. You should see Dan's tattoo. And, uh, uh, but, uh, but, we, uh, um, so, but with them, you know, we really spent a little more time on the deity of, of Christ. And, and really seeing that, that that makes it so much more even amazing. I mean, it's one thing for a friend to throw their body in front of a friend to take a bullet. It's another for a president to throw his body in front of a bodyguard who he doesn't know, you know. And so, so for us, um, we've spent, uh, when we're dealing with theologically trained people, we, we kind of walk gently and just, you know, uh, let God's Spirit awaken and walk through Scripture, you know, um, bringing out the truth that, you know, um, that, that that was agreed at at the Council of Chalcedon, and uh, um, that uh, Jesus is human, and um, and then with people that are untrained, really looking more to His deity. Yeah, I think what Doug said is it has to be considered the way we present it whether we're dogmatic or we're actually helping people grow in their understanding, basically get four responses. There's that angry grunt with people who disagree. There's the little sound that Doug made, which was... (laughs) where it's just over their ability to comprehend. There's that hmm where they have to process us. And then there's a, yeah, I get it. Um, I think living in a superstar culture like we do, I don't know for most people that I've run into, lay people and most pastors, they do get it. They don't totally comprehend They get it because we understand superstars. Jesus was a superstar who lived with the common people in the midst of common people. When I was in high school, played football, played with two high school All-Americans. One of them was a collegiate All-American. Superstars on the field. But they were nice guys. They were just like us. They ate with us. They went to the bathroom. They walked with us. We shared stories. We shared life. I think that's what it was for Jesus. He's a superstar, but he could be, he was with the guys. They under, they began to understand and appreciate him. I think in the American culture, we're like that. We understand the possibility of a superstar being one of us. They just don't lord it over us. But we know who they are. And that's the way it is with Jesus. He's a superstar. We get his deity. We don't count. It's like, how do you understand a LeBron James ability? You don't. You, none of us are that, but we can grasp it a little bit. We can understand deity. We can understand holiness. But he's one of us. So that's helped me. And I think a lot of people in our culture today, because of that superstar Culture, they understand the possibility of being God, yet in human form. They can't wrap their brain all the way around it, but they get it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I I think it's interesting in that, too, as I'm I'm just sitting here listening to you guys and hearing what you're saying. um, It's interesting in the Council of Chalcedon 521 A.D., when they wrestled with this heresy and pretty much came up the orthodox statement, the first two heresies that came at them were heresies about... Well, yeah, we know he was human, but was he really God? And the early church did not doubt his humanity because they saw it. They watched it. They touched it. They doubted. They wrestled with fully God concept. 
And only it's in the latter years that we wrestled with humanity because um, we've so elevated him as, you know, well, of course he's God, he's God. And I think new believers need to know he was full of God. I think, but then I think as we mature in our Christian life, we then need to then begin to wrestle with humanity because those two balance it out and help us in helping others. So interesting thought. Okay, here, just, I, I want us to push this real practical now. Uh, um how has this understanding, and I want to push you deep in, how has it impacted your study of scriptures and then ultimately your teaching of scriptures? I think for me, I've done study both ways. Like, let's just study all the incidences about Jesus being God. What are all the passages that talk about God? And as you mentioned in one of the workshops, there's the precarnate. Christ. Let's look at all of those. Let's look at the resurrected Christ. Uh, but let's look at the incidences where he was God on planet Earth in human form. Well, people worshipped him, etc. So I've studied that, but I've also looked at the humanity of Christ and tried to see how did Jesus deal with people, how did he think strategically, how did he deal with frustration, and then create sermon series or messages dealing with those aspects, the everyday things that people go through. I think for me it rewired my hermeneutic of seeing everything through the lens of Jesus and um, really seeing Jesus on every page. And and I'm really thankful for the the way the Spirit's awakening the body uh, to kind of the grand meta-narrative and that it's one story, it's not a bunch of little stories to teach us morals on how to live, that it's all just one big story about Jesus. But but really rewiring that and, and starting to see him in all... Of, of scripture. Yeah, I think for for me and reading through the gospels and 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 reading uh, reading Jesus' story, um, you know, I've I've put on new lenses to read it, and you know, so many of those those passages that I read and had the super Jesus mentality in the past, whether the uh, you know, miracles, healings that he did or, uh, you know, times where he knew what was in their hearts or he knew what they were thinking. And uh, I just recently um, looked at that and those times where it specifically talks about he knew, um, you know, many of those. But then, you know, I sort of and reading through all the Gospels and trying to figure out what are all the times where where it's apparent that Jesus did know in advance. Maybe it doesn't actually use that phrase, but it's apparent that Jesus did know in advance what was what was happening. And you know, counted over 50 of mm-hmm. those, and uh, just began to think through. Well, if it's not because he was omniscient, I mean, well, if that's one of the options mm-hmm. that he knew in advance because he's omniscient, um, what are some of those others? And and one, well, he understood culture. So stepping into a situation and he says something and he knows in that Jewish culture, that Jewish context, um, the way what he says is going to be heard. Yes, of course, when he says it, he knows what they're going to be thinking because he's grown up in So he understood culture. culture and context. Yeah. Or the spirit reveals it to him, you know, just as the spirit might reveal things to us. Or, you know, Jesus is able to, to read people's faces you know, read. You know, he can he can read a reaction just as, as we can, and we can we can know what someone's without thinking. Measure. 
Yeah. yeah. So, you know, just kind of looking through and you know, not immediately jumping to the conclusion that Jesus pulled out the God card, but okay, what are some of the other, you know, and kind of cl- trying to climb into his skin mm-hmm. in his humanity and, you know, reading through the story. And uh, this year I'm, I'm uh, reading through the Gospels every month um, and uh, just journaling on that every month, every, every day. And so many days just crawling inside Jesus' skin. And so what would he have been thinking when this happened? What would he have been feeling um, as a man? Uh, and how, how would this have hit him? And if I'm in his shoes, you know, what, mm. you know, what does that mean to me? And mm. so just really seeing, seeing Jesus through that lens, mm. you know, the Gospels, they come alive. Mm. Good done. They're, they're real. Thought, <clears throat> along with what you said, this will separate me from Dan and Doug. puts me more in the Dean's camp. Yeah. This, is, this is the way I think. Uh, on Halloween, oh, that means look out for yeah, what's coming. On, on ha- <laughs> Halloween, we do this trunk or treat. I think most of you know what it is. And my wife and I, we always choose some sort of costume. We chose hobos one year, and I had to be the female hobo, and she was going to be the male, which meant I had to dress up like a female. At I know- point is this? <laughs> okay, let's close in prayer. All right. <laughs> so here I am. I know who I am. I'm Don. I'm a male. I'm the pastor in the church, and I'm now dressed up like a female hobo. I can just see this. I know you too well. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to, and I'm thinking to myself as I'm walking around in this costume, what does it mean to be female? I've never been a female, but I have to act the part. Jesus came, Jesus came to planet Earth. He knew who he was. He was God. He was Jehovah. He's the Almighty. And he's now in physical flesh. He had never experienced that before. So he's not, he is in a sense, he's not just role playing, he is. And I'm talking with people in this event. This is Doug, but it's not Doug. It's SpongeBob. Uh, he's in a SpongeBob costume. Uh, you know, he is Barney and whoever. I'm having to l- learn to relate with people differently as to who they're portraying. So here's, here's what I'm getting at. Jesus came down. He was Almighty God. He set it aside. He took a costume of man, if you will. He had to learn to be man in the midst of a world of people. I create, I gave Doug life. I created him. I gave it to him, but he's become SpongeBob. He's become a sinful alcoholic. He's become maybe a person who worships money. Jesus had to learn to relate differently, and he had to learn to be somebody than who he had always been. That whole Halloween thing gave me a deep understanding of the confusion which Jesus had to have felt. Having to be man when he was really God. Anyway, just my thought. Yeah. Now, well, for those adding are... humanity to his deity, he yeah. it wasn't just a costume. Yeah. I mean, he took on, yeah. he I added thought, what humanity. Would that be like? And he didn't give up that humanity. He is now God-man in heaven. Yeah. But so he learned that. No, that's good. That's, that, that's... Now, for those of you who are in, just in the session that Don just did, <laughs> and understanding that, you know, he grew up through the hippie culture and a drug culture, the understanding that he would get his hermeneutic 
And I'm about still praying Jesus for this guy's Halloween. salvation. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, in that regard, you know, one of the things that that I, I, have, I have said for a while and I've heard others say is that Jesus was God with skin on, right? And it's almost in saying that, that, that we're saying that the only part of Jesus that was human was the, the body that he was contained in. That's faulty. Um, no, he was fully human. Yeah. And fully God. Yeah. Uh, not just God with skin not on. Not fake human, fully human. Right. <laughs> and not just, you know, God in the container of a human, in the right. body of a human. Because Gnosticism said he looked human, but he really wasn't. But, right. Yeah. So even through, you know, you talk about our, our, our teaching and how we communicate and you know, even through phrases like that, we yeah. can communicate the misconception uh, of kind of separating these two. And that, well, Jesus, yes, he was he was human, but just, you know, just a body, you know, and all the rest of him was the God part. So, you know, I, I, Philippians 2, 5 in the new century. I love it. Uh, any of you read my stuff. It says to think and act like Jesus. And, and when I, when I began to look at the stories of Jesus, and, and often when I talk about the real Jesus, I mean, all scriptures point to Jesus. So I've just come from a study in Exodus talking about Jesus most of the time. Because, or Joshua, because Joshua, I mean, there's just Jesus all over the Bible. I think we all agree with that, right? But you can go to red letters to start there, but it's, he's all over scripture. And so how, to think and act like Jesus, I find in my life increasingly, I don't act like Jesus because I'm not thinking like Jesus. And so come to a text and say, what was Jesus' thought life here? What's my thought life? But what was his thought life? And, and, and that's where God wants to get us to. That we think and act like Jesus. And it really changes my approach to the text. Uh, in some powerful ways. Okay, we need to. I want to go on just a one or two things, and we're going to be done here. Um, what are your concerns about this teaching, though? I mean, what are some of the dangers in overstating humanity? Because just like you can overstate deity, you can overstate humanity. If we go too far in humanity, what, what do you see as dangers or cautions there? I think one danger is that people grab onto it and flippantly run with it and read ourselves back into Jesus rather than get to know Jesus and um, and see God transform us in priority and characters to the image of Christ. We read back into, you know, we reverse our theology. Well, this is what I'm like, so this is what Jesus was like. Right. And with that, it's also we make Jesus in our culture. So Jesus is a white Republican living in America. And we read that into it. He's not? <laughs> no. He, and I think what's, what's hurt the church for us as, as Christian leaders is, A, we don't understand the life of Christ. We don't understand first century culture. And we don't understand Judaism. That's the Jesus we have to know. Jesus is not an American. And he's definitely not any particular race. We have to go back 2,000 years. The more we know about the culture, 
Now we know his thoughts. We know what, as Doug said, we know what he would have been thinking and anticipating from the various groups, a Sadducee, a Pharisee, a Herodian, etc. That is on us. We need to know Jesus and the historical Jesus better than what we do if we're going to lead our people to understand him. Otherwise, they reinvent Jesus, as you said, in their own image. You know, I think some of the, some of those uh, classic challenges that were faced, um, you know, the, the Council of Chalcedon that addressed, I think, are some of those same challenges where, where you can swing the pendulum, you know, too far one direction or the other, and, uh, and any time you do that, uh, there's, there's danger. And so, you know, to, to so focus on Jesus' humanity that we forget um, his deity and, and in, in his deity what he brings to us um, is, is, is dangerous. You know, one of the things that, that that kind of blew my mind just a couple of years ago in reading, and I think is uh, J. Oswald Sanders, is it the sufficiency of Christ or supremacy of Christ? Um, one of the early chapters in there talked about um, Jesus was and still is fully God and fully man. Mm-hmm. And I had had this perspective. Well, Jesus was fully man. And fully God, but fully man for th- 33 and a half years, then, you know, died, resurrected, ascends back up to the Father in heaven, and now it's just fully God. Um, but then thinking about, you know, what Paul says, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, man Christ mm-hmm. Jesus. And so just that kind of, you know, just... Yeah. That he still is fully God and fully man. The firstborn from among the dead. You know, so the, the, the resurrected body that we will have um, is what, what he has now. That, that, so. yeah, when some of the dangers, I think, um, we dumb Jesus down uh, to be like us. And as we dumb down, because we're focusing on his humanity, we dumb down his deity. There's a song, and you guys may know the name of the song and the artist, but there's a line that says, he was a slob just like one of us. Have you heard that? That's what I think the American culture has done. We've dumbed Jesus down to make him more human. We've lowered his deity. There's no sense of worship there or reverence or respect. Very good. Okay, last question, and we'll just wrap up with this. Um, Therefore, what does it mean Jesus is my model for life and ministry? And what is encouraging to you about that? How do you translate that? You know, I I, uh, shared this yesterday in the breakout that I did, but just that idea of um, Jesus' dependence on the Holy Spirit and so the life that he lived in dependence on the Holy Spirit is the life that he calls me to live with the Holy Spirit of God indwelling me now and in the fullness of the Spirit that it's possible for me 
to walk as Jesus walked. It's possible for me to live as Jesus lived. It's possible for me to minister as Jesus ministered. It's possible for me to think as Jesus thought, um, you know, through the Spirit of God who lives in me. Uh, and you know, I, I tell people, I mean, it's as if Jesus has crawled inside my skin and he's living his life through me because that's, in fact, what he's done through his Spirit, And so every step I take in uh, dependence on the Spirit and in obedience to the Father and, and how he is leading me in every step of obedience to take, I am doing in that moment exactly what Jesus would do if he was walking in my shoes. In that moment, I am Jesus in this place. And uh, completely, like, didn't just transform my perspective on Jesus, but but how to live this Christian life and the significance, right, of what God wants to do in and through me. I mean, we talk about, you know, us as the church, we're we're the body of Christ, but do we believe that, that literally, you know, as his representative here in this world, that in that place where I'm standing, that I'm meant to be Jesus in that moment, in that place, the hands and feet of Jesus, the, the, the mouth of Jesus, to those that, that I'm ministering to. When you think model, not only because the defense on the spirit has got to be number one, but we need each other. We need people. Jesus didn't just wing it by himself. He had to rely upon a team of people that were perfect or that were imperfect. Okay? We all have a Judas in our midst, right? We've all got a Simon Peter. We've all got those practical Andrews and Phillips and all of that. We have to live with people, do ministry with people. But it's a people factor. If he's our model, we got to stink and get off our butts, and we have to go out there and win some people to, to the Lord. They're going to hell without us. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to have theological debates. It was all about people for him. So we've got to, A, invest in people, B, we've got to save some people. Yeah, I think the, the first thing when I hear that about Jesus' model, it excites me because uh, that means there is a model. Um, and, you know, I have no clue what I'm doing. And, uh, and so I'm stoked that there's a model. Uh, in the book Love and Respect, he quotes somebody saying like 90% of men in their work are afraid somebody's going to find out they don't know what they're doing. And, um, you know, I really have no clue what I'm doing. And so I'm... I'm Really excited there is a model. Uh, I think then I, I feel kind of an urgency. Well, then I need to, I need to, you know, uh, um, I need to study and, 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 and know this model. But then, um, but then really a great hope because I'm like, wait, if Jesus has a model and he's using the same resources I have and I follow his model, you know, what, what could God do? You know, and, and it, you know, it's exciting to think, man, God, could you really use me? And, and I, I think there was a, uh, an eighth grade pimple-faced kid that uh, I took to Panama on a surf trip. And, and we, we, did, um, some, we did some old sun life training with this kid. And he went home and he's, he was kind of a quiet kid. He was a good surfer, but he wasn't like going to go pro or anything. And, and uh, he was just a typical teenager, and, he, and when he went home, and he was like, "God, is that true? Like, would you, would you use me?" And um, 
And so he just said, okay, here I am. And he wasn't a real outspoken, articulate kid. And so he, he just started, you know, writing verses on his boards, praying for his friends and stuff. And, and one of his buddies, uh, his best friend ended up getting saved. And, and one of the things this kid did is he put crosses on his, on his skate shoes, drew little crosses. And, and he, uh, um, his friend got saved and, and, uh, we had a good hurricane swell that fall, um, unlike today. And, uh, um, and they went up to the Outer Banks and they were paddling out. And long story short, his friend uh, got swept under the pier, uh, leash wrapped around the pier. He drowned. And um, so uh, this kid had to load all that stuff and, and take it home to the kid's parents. And, um, and as he's getting his, his shoes out of the car, he noticed that kid had drawn crosses on his shoes. And, um, and so Madison... You know, was wrecked. His best friend's dead. And he's like, Lord, I gave you my life. What are you doing? And uh, God started to work through all that. And, um, you know, his sophomore year, high school, every Tuesday, he was leading a Bible study at his public high school with over 150 uh, new Christians and pointing them to Christ. And, and it birthed the movement, the adults in Topsail, Island, North Carolina, called us and said, we need to start ministering. The kids are, you know, like Paul told Timothy, they're setting the example for what a believer should be. And we're humiliated by the children, you know, so we need to step up. And it birthed the whole ministry and all this radical stuff. And it was like just a kid who said, wow, Jesus has a motto. And if I follow it, God could use me like Jesus, you know. And so it really excites me. Wow, I'm I'm sitting here and just... Thinking that, probably the most profound thing in my mind is once you get to the real Jesus, then he wants to take unlearned and ignorant tax collectors and fishermen and use them to turn the world upside down. And that's the God we love. And that's the God we serve. I mean, that's, to me, just gets to me every time. So let me close in prayer. Um, And we'll be around if you have any questions. Father, what an awesome God you are. In my spirit, I just feel this is just a, at least for me, it's a powerful moment to reflect with my friends about your humanity. I don't think I can ever get enough of thinking and talking about the real Jesus. Because every time I do with a bunch of brothers I love, um, I go deeper. And Father, we just want to say we love you. And we thank you that you are our model, the head of the church. And you've given us this privilege of walking with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.